for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. This is a very well-known psalm. Uh, we, we sing the hymn written by uh, Keth from, from centuries ago. Uh, it's a well-known hymn. It says, All people that on earth do dwell. It's known as the Old Hundredth. Okay, so it's a well-known song, well-known psalm. And as the heading says, it is a psalm for giving thanks. A thanksgiving psalm. So a psalm, as, you've, as uh, I'm sure you picked up, about tremendous joy and singing and praising God. This past week has been a little bit of a rough week for me. So uh, when Pastor Lela said, please, will you, you preach? I went and checked, you know, which psalms have we not looked at? So I went to the, the resource page and I went through all the psalms there. And I thought, let me do Psalm 100. And you know, God's sense of humor uh, gives you a psalm about thanksgiving and rejoicing and you don't feel like it. Uh, and so you, you, I spent the week uh, seeking to obey this psalm because it is a command. The breakdown of the psalm is that there are seven commands or imperatives. The psalmist commands us to do certain things. And then it concludes the last verse, verse 5, with uh, a causal statement. Uh, what is the cause of our obedience? Why must we obey? And there are three reasons that we are given to obey these seven commands. So let's begin uh, with the first command, verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Uh, some of your translations might say, shout triumphantly. That's, that's uh, closer to what it's saying. It is, it's not so much singing a beautiful tune. It is, and pastors say, you know, the invitation to come to Christ. And I know where they get that from. It's from one of the parables of the Lord Jesus. But uh, I'm not persuaded that the command to repent and praise God is an invitation. It's a command. Paul says as much in Acts 17, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Okay. If you're not a Christian, as you sit here, as you're watching, there is a command. Verse 2 is to serve the Lord with gladness. We are commanded to serve the Lord and to serve Him with gladness. Not reluctantly, not with grumbling and complaining, not sulking. It's very challenging, isn't it? Uh, those of us who, who, who are parents, how often, you know, we can see in our children. It's more obvious. You know, when the younger you are, the less you, you're good at hiding things, your emotions, okay? As you get older, we get better at it, don't we? Uh, we know how to pretend. We know how to look the part. Uh, but I can see with my children often a church service uh, or I'm going to get my car serviced or how was the service that you went to work. And that's true of the Christian life. It's not just on Sundays that we should come with joy and that we should obey God or when we pray and when we read the Bible, that's serving God. It is all of life. 
It is our action as well. It's, it's Monday morning and Sunday. It's every day of the week. It is in all that we do, our work and our worship. We are to serve the Lord with gladness. Bob Dylan um, wrote a song called Gotta Serve Somebody. And he says this, one of my, my favorite songs from him. He says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve the Lord. You're either a slave to Satan or a slave to the Lord. You either belong to the devil. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You are your father, the devil. And there are only two spiritual families in this world. Those who are in Christ or those who are in Satan. Those who belong to God or belong to Satan. And you're not free. If people say that, I'm free. I don't belong to anyone. I do what I want to do. All you're doing is exposing that you belong to Satan. And that you're deceived. And so we're all going to have to serve somebody. If you serve Satan, there is no peace for the wicked. And the wages of sin is death. The payday that you're getting will be death. And if you're in Christ, he gives us peace. He gives us eternal life and eternal satisfaction. And so we are to serve the Lord with gladness. We are to come into His presence with singing. It's the third command. Come into His presence with singing. We are commanded to come into His presence. And we do that especially on the Lord's day. We gather as God's people and the Lord is with us here in a unique way, a way that is not with us ordinarily. Very important to understand that. The Lord is with His people all the time. And He'll never leave us nor forsake us in Him. We live and move and have our being. But when we gather as His people, as His church, He is with us in a very special way. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, very appropriate, very fitting, uh, with this psalm, that Jesus Christ is singing with us. In fact, the Greek word means that he's this, the worship leader. He is the worship leader. He is the one leading our worship to the Father. He is with us. And so, that's why again, the writer of Hebrews will say, do not forsake the gathering of the church. We're commanded to come and gather as God's people. We understand that things in life, sickness, etc., etc., for legitimate reasons. But just to take it lightly, the gathering of God's people, where Jesus is there in a special way, is an evil thing. Don't you want to experience Christ in a special way? And you need to gather with God's people. And we are to sing. Praise the Lord for the singing that we do enjoy that. It is often glorious and wonderful. Uh, but we can always be challenged to do better, you know, right? to sing more heartily. <coughs> singing is good for us, just on a, on a human level. God gives us physical things, and often we kind of over-spiritualize everything, but He's given us singing because it's good for us. Physically, it's good for us. Uh, Juliet Russell, she's a lady who's a voice coach and she's 
trained uh, Grammy winners and um, the TV show The Voice, all of these things. And she wrote a blog article. She said, it's good for your heart. Okay? Singing is an aerobic activity. It's beneficial for your heart and lungs. When you, when you sing, your brain releases field with chemicals, including endorphins. say there is valuable research to show that, sorry, there's, there's growing research to show that this is a valuable tool in alleviating depression. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting how it demands his people to sing? And especially, another pastor pointed this out to me the other day, what you find in scripture is often a link between singing and spiritual warfare and fighting depression. And scientists are discovering that. I know that's true, and I always I, I, I can hit myself for being dumb. When I'm feeling down, what I've, I've found so often is listen to some good hymns, play some good music, and start to sing, and let the lyrics minister to you. And it, but you know, often I don't do it; I forget. But singing is good for us, especially when you feel down. But the last thing you can do. Number three, she says it's resting. Facial beauty treatment. Isn't that right? When you sing, you exercise your facial muscles. I get to stand up here. Some of you could do with some. Let me just say it. Let me encourage you. Some of you don't sing very much. I can see it from up here. Sing. Sing out it. It's a command. No. And the wonderful thing is, it's hard outside. I admit, outside is difficult because then there's you know, 20, 30 people and, and it's open and, and you can hear yourself, and that's the worst thing, especially <laughs> if you have my voice. But in here, you can't hear yourself. You can sing. Sing out to the Lord. Praise Him. It's good for you and it's, it's right and honorable. You've seen, um, you know, if you watch Premier League, you've seen the way those. those Brits sing. Hey, they sing out. That because it's 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 what they worship pretty much. They sing out and they're not embarrassed. They belt out those songs. Even the Welsh will sing a hymn, Red of Heaven. They sing it out. Those are pagans, most of them. Yet they'll sing out. God's people are commanded to sing, to praise him. In the beginning. 
God created the heavens and the earth. It's not random chance. And we're just a, a, a collection of molecules and electrical impulses and everything is meaningless and in the end we're just going to be fertilizer and then there's going to be this, this massive black hole and that's the end of it and all is meaningless. No, the Bible does not teach that God made us. We have value. We are made in His image. We have purpose. We were made to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. So our, our lives do have value. Is it any wonder that there are so many school shootings and random acts of violence when people are growing up thinking, there is no meaning to life. There is no God. We're all just grass. That's what Stalin said. Stalin said, uh, you know, they estimate he killed 50 million of his own people. But he said it's like mowing the lawn. That's what he said. Which is, which is inconsistent. You hold to an atheistic worldview, you can't be, be honest. Stop trying to say I can be an atheist and still hold to morality and beauty and truth. You can't. You've been inconsistent. You want your cake and you want to eat it. You want to reject God and His commands upon your life, but you still want to hold on to His morality and His beauty and His truth. No, we are made by God who loves us and made us in His image, bestowed the highest of blessings upon us. But I think the main focus here is more on redemption. Notice it says there that we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. If you're a Christian here, that, that's a sovereign act of God. Nobody here, doesn't matter what theology you hold to, the Bible is clear, did not come of your own free will. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. A dead, physically dead person cannot resurrect themselves, and in the same way a spiritually dead person cannot give themselves spiritual life. God did that by His Spirit when He regenerated you and gave you the ability to believe. So salvation is an act of God, a sovereign act of of God. And we are His sheep. If you're a Christian, you're not a goat. You're not a pig. You're not a dog. Those are the animals that are used to describe those who reject Christ. Goats, willful and independent. Pigs, dirty. And they eat anything. Dogs, Talking about the dogs in the Asian world, okay? <laughs> but naturally, dogs are dirty, aren't they? You've seen wild dogs covered in ticks and fleas and vicious. That's, that's, these are pictures of, of unbelievers. If you're a Christian, you're a sheep. Now, again, being a sheep isn't all wonderful. Sheep are pretty dumb. And, uh, and that's, that's why the imagery is used. They're helpless, aren't they? Not that Everest, but was chosen for weak and the foolish. We need a shepherd. We need a good shepherd, otherwise we're finished. But you see, we belong to Him. He made us. He saved us. We are His. The sheep we get fed.
Verse 4. We're commanded to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We're commanded to come into his presence. Isn't that amazing? It's full of the Bible we did Esther. She wasn't allowed to go into the presence of the king. It was a frightening thing for her to come into his presence. But we are commanded go into the presence of God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Alistair Bates says this. He says, the password to entrance is thank you. See what it says there. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Thankfulness. How do we fight? Being down. Not feeling like coming to worship, not feeling like singing, not feeling like praising God, we have to begin by being thankful. So grateful that I was thinking this week, Lord, thank you so much that Christianity is not governed by our emotions. Because you know it's, it, it fluctuates. Up and down, go to bed happy, wake up sad, and vice versa, and then wake up happy. Ten minutes later, you're depressed. It's always frustrating. Now, script's not against our emotions at all, but it's, it's not that they should master us. We're not slaves to our emotions. It's the way that we think. We have the mind of Christ. Renew your mind. Begin to think. What, what has the Lord done for me? Let me begin to give thanks.
But if you make a practice of sinning, a lifestyle of sinning, you will not enter these gates. Those gates will be barred to you. But if you're in Christ and forgiven, the evidence of that is, even though we fall, we do sin. Uh, I appreciated one example that I heard years ago. A person said, for the unbeliever, if, if a swimming pool was sin, when they get up in the morning, they dive straight in, and that's where they swim the whole day. The believer is on the side, trying not to fall in, but sometimes we fall in, and then we get out again. It's not the sphere in which we live. Verse 5, we come now to the causal statements. Why? Why must we do this? Why must we shout to the Lord? Why must we praise Him? Why must we enter His cause? Why must we sing and bless Him and all of these things? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. Three things the psalmist tells us. The Lord is good. He is loving. And He is faithful. He is good. Loving and he is faithful. I'm sure, if you were to ask most people on the planet what would you want in a spouse or a dear friend, these are things that you would say, isn't it right? I want someone who is good, who is loving, and who is faithful. That's what we want. Or we say we want. Well, let's see, good. Reality is none of us are good, isn't that right? People often, I mean, we use that. Uh, probably you've already had it this morning. Are you, are you good? Are you good? But sometimes I like to say, there's none good. Okay. <laughs> uh, and that's the truth. There's none good, there's none righteous, none of one. There's only been one person ever who is truly good. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. One human being who is perfectly good, morally good, who never ever sinned in thought, word, or deed. We unfortunately sin against one another, even the people that we love. God is good, perfectly good. You will never lie to you, never steal from you, never abuse you, never take advantage of you. It's perfectly good. Is that song? Yes, God is good all the time. That's the truth. All the time, God is good. And His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love is chesed, the Hebrew Word there, one of my favorite aspects of God is steadfast love. A love that cannot be shaken, that cannot be moved, it endures forever. But we need to understand what love is, because it is a word that we throw around a lot, isn't it, right? We use it all the time, I love you, I love you, I love chocolate, I love this, I love We use it. Uh, it's become sentimental, it's become confused in so many ways. Being going through C.S. Lewis' book, The Problem of Pain. So it's a bit of a longer quote, but I think it's worth it. He says this, by the goodness of God, we mean nowadays almost exclusively
generally what we think of is love is, is you know, I love someone, I just want them to be happy. You've heard people say that? I just want someone to be happy. Lewis says, not happy in this way or in that, but just happy. What would really satisfy us would be a God who said of anything we happen to like doing, what does it matter so long as they are contented? We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. A senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves. And whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. That's unfamiliar. Go on to say, not many people I admit would formulate a theology in precisely those terms, but a conception not very different lurks at the back of many minds. That's what we want. We want a God who just makes us happy and never makes us feel bad about what we're doing, just lets us carry on and just wants us to be happy and have a good time. Lewis says, I do not claim to be an exception. I should very much like to live in a universe which was governed on such lines. But since it is abundantly clear that I don't, and since I have reason to believe, nevertheless, that God is love, I conclude that my conception of love needs correction. That's true for all of us. Every day, our understanding of what love is needs to be challenged and aligned with what the Bible teaches. I might indeed have learned, even from the poets, that love is something more stern and splendid, splendid than mere kindness. That even the love between the sexes is, as in Dante, a lord of terrible aspect. There is kindness in love, but love and kindness are not coterminous. They don't end in the same place. And when kindness, in the sense given above, is separated from the other elements of love, it involves a certain fundamental indifference to its object, and even something like contempt of it. Kindness consents very readily to the removal of its object. We have all met people whose kindness to animals is constantly leading them to kill animals, lest they should suffer. Isn't that true today? You hear people say, I love children so much, that's why I had an abortion, because how could I bring them into it? I love, I love my grandfather so much, that's why we, we're, we're you know, killing, him, killing him off early. See what Jesus is saying here? We claim kindness. You know, we just want everyone to be happy, but it's incredible cruelty. What we actually have is indifference. We don't actually care. Kindness merely as such cares not whether its object becomes good or bad, provided only that it escapes suffering. So often we think that that's what we reduce kindness to, escaping suffering. As Scripture points out, it is bastards who are spoiled. The legitimate sons who are to carry on the family tradition are punished. Hebrews 12. It is for people whom we care nothing about that we demand happiness on any terms. With our friends, our lovers, our children, we are exacting and we'd rather see them suffer much than be happy in contemptible and estranging modes. You would say, if you truly love someone, you wouldn't want them to carry on being bad. What father would say, I love my son, I don't care how he lives. 
said, well, I know that father doesn't actually love his son. I love my spouse. I don't care how they look or what they behave like. That's not love. If God is love, he is by definition something more than human kindness. And it appears from all the records that though he has often rebuked us and condemned us, he has never regarded us with contempt. He has paid us the intolerable compliment of loving us in the deepest, most tragic, most inexorable sense. Isn't that amazing? God loves us. And if love is so powerful and so great, He won't leave you in your sin. And that means sometimes you and I are going to suffer so that we are weaned from our idols. And often we tend to think, well, God doesn't love me because everything's going wrong. It's the exact opposite. Okay? Everything's going wrong because He loves you. Because He said, I don't want I don't want you to waste your life on that rubbish, on that worthless idol, on that fool's gold. He wants to make us beautiful. And if you truly love someone, you will want to see them holy as well, isn't that right? If you love your children, if you love one another, you will want to see Christ more and more formed in one another. Not just, I hope you're happy, I hope everything's going okay in your life, that's great. But even in suffering, you say, I want to see Christ form in, in that person. And so when we're told that God loves us, it's not a sentimental love. It's a love that will change us. It's a love that won't leave us in our sin. It's a love that will break us, isn't that right? It's a love that will purify us through the fire through the floods, through the storms. It's a love that will chip away like a sculptor making something beautiful. It's a love that will prune us, cut, cut, bits of us all. And so we must understand what love is. This is a beautiful love. It's tragic. It's the most painful love because it cost God His only begotten Son. This love is displayed in, in the cross. Jesus Christ laid down His life. He was cut off. He was broken. He was destroyed. So that we might be ultimately healed and perfected. It is inexorable. That means nothing can stop it. Isn't that right? It's a lovely word, inexorable. It's like those glaciers. You've ever seen them? I haven't seen them in real life, but documentaries. <laughs> those massive frozen bodies of water that just just move slowly, <laughs> even millimeters or centimeters a year. But they just keep coming and coming and coming, and they crush everything in their path. Nothing can stop them. That's the love of God. He has set His love upon you. Nothing will stop Him from making you beautiful. We read in the Old Testament, the prophets, they say, the Lord says, I found Israel, she was in the felt, in the bush, the baby, naked in her own blood. And I took her and I washed her. And I, I made her beautiful and bought her beautiful clothing and jewelry. Would any of us say, well, that's not loving. You should have left her alone and let 
let her live her own life. No, we said, that's loving. He sought to shape her and change her. That's why I'm, I'm sure you've seen it. People on Instagram and Twitter more than me. How often do people say, make sure you find someone who doesn't try and change you? That's the common isn't it, right? What people want is not love. They say they want love. They, don't, they want a cheerleader. They don't actually want love. Why do people reject God? It's not because He's not loving, it's because He's too loving. They don't want someone to actually change them. If you're thinking that, I, you, you better marry someone who wants to change you and see you more like Jesus, and not in a control freak way, and understand, understand what the rest of the Bible says, okay? But do you understand what I'm saying? Any partner who doesn't care what you're, look, what you're like, doesn't care about your holiness or anything about you, that's not love. You know, those people say we have a open relationship. You just don't love each other, that's all that means. You don't, couldn't care less about one another. See, God loves us and He will change us and shape us. And it's glorious. It's inexorable. And He will bring you and me to perfection. When we see Him, we will be like Him. When you see the resurrected Christ, you will be like Him in a glorified body, never ever to sin again. It will, it will be done. It's a promise. Philippians says, He has begun a good work. Philippians 1 says, He has begun a good work in you. will bring it to completion. You will be perfect one day. Now it's painful, but it will be worth it. And lastly, His faithfulness to all generations. He's faithful, he is trustworthy, he is worthy of our trust. You can believe his promises, you cannot lie. And it's to all generations, isn't that wonderful? Tremendous confidence. We pray, even before the service, we pray for our children and grandchildren, and to, to generations. And how many of us here second, third generation Christians? God is faithful, you can trust him. So we ought to praise Him because He is good, because of His steadfast love and His faithfulness. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Amen. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for this short but incredibly powerful song. You command us to do these things. not just to do them without any reason, without any intentionality. We're not just to work ourselves up into a frenzy. Lord, we are to praise you because you are worthy. You are a good God. You are a God who never stops loving your people. Even when we sin, even when we sin heinously, you are a faithful God. You cannot deny yourself. It is your character, it is who you are. You cannot be anything other than trustworthy and faithful. And so help us to praise you. Forgive us for the times when we've filled our minds with wrong things, believed lies, and not obeyed you, and not worshipped you as we should, and not sung out to you and praised you. Shouted victoriously. But please help us, Lord, we pray. 
For any who don't know you, Lord, the command is scout all the world. The door is open now. May they come and enter in. May they come through you, Lord Jesus. You are the door. And they bend the knee to you and receive your forgiveness and your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.